So a little disclaimer before we get going. Um, I absolutely hate preacher stories. I, I, I think it's ridiculous that a preacher would use preacher stories because they're kind of corny, they're cliche, you've probably heard them all, and I think it's very irresponsible on the part of a preacher to use a preacher story. So there's a man who's standing, <laughs> who is trapped on his rooftop during a flood, and he prayed, God, will you please save me? So this, you've heard it, right? And so he prays, and a guy comes by in a rowboat and says, hey, why don't you hop in? And he said, no, I've been praying to God, and God is going to save me. So the rowboat goes on. A little while later, the waters continue to rise, and he prays to God again, and a rowboat shows up. I'm sorry, a, a motorboat shows up. He says, why don't you get in with me? He says, no, I've prayed to God, and God is going to save me. So he goes on. The water continues to rise as the rain comes down. And he prays to God again, God, will you please save me? The helicopter comes, drops down a rope, says hop on, grab on, I'll carry you to safety. He says, no, I've prayed to God and God's going to save me. He dies. And he gets to heaven, he's standing before God, and he says, God, I prayed to you and I trusted you, you were going to save me. And I died. He said, well, what do you expect me to do? I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. We all have kind of our perception of how salvation works and what it looks like. And for the Galatians, they had their perception, these Galatian Christians, of what it took to find life, to find salvation in Christ. And they are challenging Paul and his gospel as Paul says, no, this is about Jesus. And the Galatians says, yes, you're right, it's about Jesus, but it's got to be more than that. It just can't be faith that would save you. There's got to be something else. And so the Galatians are arguing, no, it's about not just about Jesus, but it's about the law and the customs of us as Jewish people. And if you're going to be a part of the Jewish people, then you've got to do what the Jewish people do that really sets them apart and makes them Jewish. And, and it's one of those things, you, you hear their argument, and for us, there's part of us that says, I kind of get it. Right? Because when someone tells you this this journey is about faith in Christ. There's part of us that automatically starts to think, yeah, but am I good enough? Am I doing what I need to do to be saved? Am I doing what I am required to do? And so they're arguing for Paul saying, Paul has a watered-down gospel. And the argument is for Paul that, no, this is a Jesus-centered gospel. Paul's watering it down by saying, yes, you can believe in Jesus, and you don't need the Jewish customs. You don't need the Jewish law. You don't have to be circumcised. 
Well, Paul's just taking it easy. He's watering down the message. And Paul's saying, no, 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 I'm not watering. This is all about Jesus. It is about Jesus. And so we're going to jump in. Um, verse 11, chapter 2. When Cephas, and this is Peter, when he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. So Paul stands up, he says, face to face with Peter, and he's condemning, really, the way that he's living out the gospel. And, and you think, okay, well, why is he pulling back? And, and maybe more importantly, why is Paul confronting him and calling him out for this? And I think to answer that question, you kind of have to look back and think about Peter's journey and Peter's life as a disciple and a follower of Jesus. Right? He and his brother Andrew are fishing. Jesus comes and calls them, says, come follow me. And they leave everything behind, their father Zebedee, on the boat, and they follow Jesus. And every day, and you think about the things that Peter saw in his life. The feeding of the 5,000. Jesus asking him, calling him to step out of the boat as he walks on water. Jesus being transfigured and Peter having a front row seat for what is happening. And then you think about Peter in the garden. Where Jesus is being arrested and he defends and fights for Jesus. And Jesus tells him, no, put away your sword. Because Jesus had told him, you're going to deny me three times. And they're standing around a campfire, and people start coming up to Peter saying, hey, you were with Jesus, you're one of his disciples, you know him. And of course, he denies that he ever knew Jesus. And then Jesus is crucified. And he's raised, and they find Jesus again. And where's Peter? He's in a boat fishing again. And he sees Jesus on the shore, and he comes to Jesus, and what does he smell? He smells that fire. That fire which I'm sure brought back memories of the moment where he said, I do not know him. And Jesus there beside the sea says, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to continue to follow me. I want you to continue to show my grace to this world. And for Peter, this moment of being sent back out as a disciple of Jesus. And we don't hear a whole lot more about him until a little bit into the story of Acts in the early church. And Peter is praying on his rooftop, 
and he sees this giant sheep being let down from heaven and all of these animals that before had been unclean and a voice says to him in this prayer, get up, kill, and eat. And he says, no, 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 I cannot do this. Surely not. That would be sinful. And the voice tells him, Jesus tells him, don't call anything unclean that God has made. And the very next day, Peter finds himself walking across the threshold into the home of a Gentile to sit down and eat together, which would have been one of the most un-Jewish things that you could do. He finds him there sharing table fellowship, which was a pretty big deal for them. It was a pretty big thing in their day to share a table with someone. What's Jesus accused of? Right? Eating with tax collectors and sinners. And you think, well, why does he change his mind? Why does Peter change his theology? Is it through study? Is it through trying to figure out, does he just get tired of things the way they are? No, he had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus tells him, right, through this prayer and through this conversation, God does not show favorites. Now think about that. For the Jewish people, who had been called God's chosen people, God does not show favorites. To, to me, it would seem like those are the favorites. And last week, we asked a really important question, right? Does God choose some people and not choose others? And what we kind of walked away with, I hope, is that I think Paul would say, God has chosen every one of us. And the question is whether or not you would hear His voice. Whether or not you would choose to follow Him. He's chosen you. But what's important is the purpose of the chosen people in the first place. It wasn't to be set apart so that you can say we're special and different from everyone else for our sake. Right? He chose them and sent them out into the world to be different so that the world would see Him through His people. Right? Their purpose was to be a blessing to the rest of the world not to be set apart to say hey y'all can't be with us it was actually the opposite so that God could say to the world you're welcome you are called to be a part of the chosen people and it begins with the story of a guy named Abraham. We're going to look at that a little bit more next week. But it's this invitation 
to be a part of God's kingdom and to bless the world. You're chosen for a purpose. And so he says to them, for, <clears throat> for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. Why does he do that? Here's what he says. Because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. Why does he pull back fellowship? Why does he stop eating with Gentiles? Because he was afraid of what other people would think. Now, I know that's something that you and I don't relate with, right? Doing something because of what other people would think. But have you ever made a poor decision because you were afraid of what others would think? Have you ever done the wrong thing or held back because you were worried about what other people would think. See, here's Peter, who's had this lifelong journey with Jesus, following Him, committed to Him. And he hears the voice of Jesus saying, hey, this fellowship, is open to everyone. They can come to me and they can be a part of my people. But there are some people that don't think Peter should be doing that. Who don't think he should be including Gentiles. And so he pulls back his fellowship. And so there's two words that Paul is going to use to describe what it is that Peter is doing. So the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so by their hypocrisy, Barnabas was led astray. And this word hypocrisis means play acting or wearing a mask. Right? You're being a play actor, you're wearing a mask, you're pretending to be someone that you're not. Which we get the word hypocrite. You're being a hypocrite because you know that God has welcomed everyone to come follow Him. And yet you're pulling back your fellowship. And then he goes on to say this in verse 14, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, 
I said to Cephas in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And that little phrase, acting in line or walking in line with the truth of the gospel, is the word orthopedeo. And we actually get two different words from this. Ortho means straight, right? What does an orthodontist do? Straightens your teeth, right? And then pedeo, the word podiatrist, right, is about walking. And so it's walking in line with the gospel. It's living out the gospel. And these two words are super, super connected for Paul, right? If you are not going to walk in line with the truth of the gospel, then you are a hypocrite, right? And we're not walking in line with the gospel so that God will save us. We are walking in line, and that's, that is the gospel. We're walking in line with the gospel because God has saved us. Because He has called us. Because He has invited us into fellowship with Him. And His problem is kind of twofold. right? If you don't live out the gospel in your life, if you're going to be a hypocrite, then it's a huge problem. Because one, other people are going to see you and they're going to follow you. Barnabas is one of those who's going to be led astray. And so Peter starts pulling back his table fellowship. And what are the other people who are following and being discipled by Peter going to do? They're going to pull back. And so the second part of the problem is it keeps people from coming to Jesus. Right? It's just not, not just that those who are following Jesus would start following in your steps. It's that there are those who are on the outside who would not be welcomed in because of it. And so if you're not going to walk in line, and it's all-encompassing, this is our life, if you're not going to walk in line with the gospel, then you are a hypocrite. Which I think we could all say, at times, we're hypocrites. Right? And so he continues on, verse 15. We who are Jews by birth, and not sinful Gentiles, and, I, and part of this I think is in jest, but it's also kind of the way that they talk during this day. A Gentile was someone who doesn't follow the Jewish law. And so when they say Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, it would be Jesus was eating with people maybe questionably morally, but also just people who don't follow Torah, who aren't the Jewish people. And so not sinful Gentiles, he continues on, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so he's going to use this word justified three different times here in the next few verses, next few sentences. But it means to be declared as righteous. And it's a word that we don't really use a whole lot. My guess is you haven't heard someone probably in the last week use the word justified in a sentence. And I was trying to think, okay, what would be a good example of how we would use it today? So you've, you're driving home from work, and you're stopped at a red light, you're the first car in line, and there is an ambulance coming behind you. Sirens on, lights blashing, honking the horn. This is a big-time emergency. You look, there's no one coming, and you decide, I'm going to run the red light to avoid and give room for the ambulance to get through the intersection. And a policeman sees you do it, and guess what? You broke the law, right? You, you ran a red light. And he pulls you over. He says, well, you, you just ran a red light. He said, well, I was trying to get out of the way of an ambulance. It was gone, going on an emergency. Kind of, I think that's within our right. I think that's a law. You can do that, right? Really, no. And then the policeman talks to you for a little bit, and he says, okay, I think you were justified in your actions. And, and that's how I think we would typically use it. But it was much more of a legal term. right? To be declared righteous is this idea of being declared morally perfect. Right? Think in terms of the Ten Commandments. And for that matter, all 613 laws in the Torah. But to say, all right, you're going to love God with all of your heart. You're going to not have any idols. You're going to keep the Sabbath. You're not going to steal or give false testimony or commit adultery. You're not going to covet. All right, God, there's these Ten Commandments. And it's the question of, okay, if you're justified in obedience to that law, that means you never break one of those laws. Right? I mean, we can just go with the easiest one of all, right? Have you ever coveted anything? Right? You're driving your 1998 Buick Century. That was me. <clears throat> and you're parking next to the new F-150 or a new Mercedes. Man, it would sure be nice. I wish I had what they had. Like in it, right? I mean, it, it's pretty difficult to be morally perfect. Paul's argument: it's impossible. You cannot do it. Try as hard as you want, and you're going to stumble. You will not be justified by the law. So no, continue on, know that a person is not justified <clears throat> excuse me, by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one 
will be justified. What they wanted, right, was for the law to be held up against them to prove that they were righteous. Right? Here's the law. Here's my life. See how righteous I am. But instead, what the law did, instead of showing everyone that, man, you are righteous, it did the exact opposite. Right? Because when you stand up against that law, without question, you are unrighteous. And so, as he's arguing here, it's not that we're justified by the law. In fact, we've given that up. That's what Paul is saying. We gave that up because we realized that pursuit is futile. To try to live up to that law day in and day out, morally perfect, and hope that in the end we can stand before God and say, God, I am, I am justified. He says it's useless. It's useless. And the truth of it is God is not going to love you any more or any less than He already does based on your ability or inability to keep the law. And what these Galatian Christians are arguing is this kind of what we would think is probably a normal equation, right? That faith in Christ plus the Jewish law equals new life in Christ. Right? And, and for you and I, we can kind of cover that up and we can insert our own plus there. Our, our faith in Christ plus our ability, our inability to make it to church. Our faith in Christ plus our ability or inability to use poor language. Our faith in Christ plus how much we give or how much we serve. Like you can fill in that blank. And what Paul's argument is no, 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 this is simple. Faith in Christ equals new life in Christ. And he'll define faith in just a little bit, a little bit further in the story for us. And I think he defines it as belief in baptism. Like what does faith look like? It looks like following Jesus through believing in Him and being baptized into Him and we find new life in Him. Right? This is what it looks like to follow, this is where new life is found. And so then he says, verse 17, But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, we've been trying to follow the law, we've been trying to hold ourselves up against the law to prove that we're righteous, and it's done the exact opposite. It showed that we're very unrighteous. In trying to, we found ourselves among the sinners. So doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Now, in, in the next chapter, he's going to go into this 
a lot more in detail, and we'll talk about it over the next couple of weeks. But what he's basically saying here is you have a choice. You can be judged by the law and your ability or inability to keep it, or you can be judged in Christ based on His ability or inability to keep it. You get to choose, but it's not both. It's not both. So, so it doesn't matter what, how we live? Absolutely not. It matters. Right? We already talked about that. It matters. It matters significantly. But we're not living that way so that God will love us. We're living out that gospel. We're walking in line with the gospel because He loves us. And so here's Paul's big kind of crescendo here. Right? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? And he goes on. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Right? The essence of the gospel is that God loved, so God gave. God loved you. God loved Paul. God loved Peter. God loved the Galatians so much that he chose to give his son for you, for them. And so this righteousness, it either comes through Jesus, or as hard as you try, it can't come from the law. Right? As, as Paul says in Philippians, I don't have a righteousness of my own. I have the righteousness because of Christ. Because God gave Christ the perfect sacrifice. And He is the reason, as we read a few moments ago, that heaven stands circling a throne saying, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Because our life is in Him. Try as hard as you will to be obedient, to be justified by the law. And it just doesn't happen. Right? Wanting the law to show that we're justified. Wanting it to show that we're righteous. And it doesn't. It can't. Maybe you remember the, the movie that came out in the late, late, late 90s. Um, Bruce Willis and A Sixth Sense. All right? And there's the, the, this really kind of eerie yet powerful scene 
where Bruce Willis, this child psychologist, is talking to Cole, the little boy, and it gets really still and really quiet, and Cole says to Bruce Willis, he goes, I want to tell you my secret. All right, it's kind of eerie. He says, I see dead people. And Bruce Willis kind of clarifies, he goes, like in your dreams? No. They're walking around. And he says this, the little kid says this, they're walking around, but they don't realize they're dead. I think, how many times in my life, how often do I forget that I died? Right, when I made the decision to follow Jesus, I died. I died so that Christ could live in and through me. I died so that I could be a light. Not my light, but His light in this world. I died so that I could be salt. Not my salt, but His salt. I died so that Christ would live in and through me and so that the world would see the goodness of God. And we have life and we have hope and we have salvation in Christ and Christ alone. And yet every day, every day I try to prove I'm righteous. Right? I spend a lot of energy, I feel like, trying to make myself look righteous. So that everyone else sees what I want them to see. We do it through our church attendance or we do it through our behavior or our attitude. We try to appear righteous. And I think Paul would say, stop trying to play that game because it is futile. It does not work. Surrender. Surrender. Surrender to Christ and find your hope in Christ's 